Good morning, church. Wow, worship was amazing, yeah? Good to see so many of my friends and my family in the house. Good to see some first-time guests as well. Welcome to church. Hello on the back row. Hello. So sweet. Um, Anyway, I'm just excited to be in the house of the Lord. I trust that you felt the Spirit of God, whether you're in the room or watching at home, you know, God is not concerned about distance. Amen. He can, as long as you are partnering with what he's, he's doing with a people, uh, he can meet you right where you are. So I'm glad you're watching online. You're joining us on Facebook live, YouTube live and the exchangechurch.org. I want to get into my sermon today. We start a new series called Binge Reading the Bible, Binge Reading the Bible, Binge Reading the Bible. Instead of binging Netflix, you and I have the opportunity, especially now when things are, I almost said more slow, but it feels more fast to me, more chaotic, but we have a little bit more flexibility at home or away from people or obligations to binge read the Bible. So my goal, I was telling our team uh, after our last series, my goal was to come in with a a high-flying series that gives a good overview of the Bible from beginning to end so that we understand where we're at in the history of time. Anytime you pick up your Bible, you can kind of understand what God is trying to communicate based on where you are. So I'm going to walk us through that today. I've got some good material, but first... Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the spirit of God that is in this room. God, I thank you for the healings that are taking place in this room. God, I thank you for the relationships that are being restored in this room. God, I just, I thank you that you're a good God. You are a good God and you give good things to your children. So God, we just partner with whatever it is you want to do in our life, we trust that it's good. It may not feel good, but we trust that it's good. So come, Lord Jesus, have your way today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Oh, P.S., thank you for the suckers and the candy that's keeping the kids occupied during this sermon. Amen. I wanna talk to you Before I get into the text of my sermon, I want to talk to you about current events. Is that okay? Um, I, as a a pastor, a shepherd of a flock, as a Bible connoisseur, I, I am amazed at current events and how the pages of the Bible are coming to life right before our very eyes. I don't know how many of you realize we are living in prophetic times and nothing that we're experiencing has caught God by surprise, church. In fact, he foretold it over 2,500 years ago, what was going to take place. And the only people that are caught off guard are people who are not spending time in the word of God because it is foreshadowed, it is foretold. And let me tell you, the only person that can tell the future is the one that controls it. Out of all the sacred texts that exist, the Bible is the only sacred text that isn't just a historical document, but it's a prophetic document. 
It is verifiably accurate based on the prophecies spoken, the prophecies fulfilled. I was having a conversation with one of our members at the church just this week, and I was reminding them that over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' first coming came to pass exactly as the Bible predicted. Now, some would argue they probably tried to make those prophecies come true. Eh, maybe. Maybe that is the case for some of them. But there are a very large amount of prophecies that the participating person that made that prophecy happen, if they had known that they were causing God's word to be fulfilled, they would have run in the other direction. So you can't tell me that it's not God fulfilling his word. The Bible says that he watches over his word. And if he said it, he will bring it to completion, not just in our life, but in the globe. I said something like 353 prophecies were Messiah's first coming. For every one prophecy of his first coming, there are eight prophecies of his second coming. The one that I believe that we are creeping up on ever so slowly or ever so quickly. There are tons of prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm excited. Every time, every morning I wake up, sometimes I get up in the middle of the night. I know this is TMI, but my wife will find me in the bathroom on my phone and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, checking the news because Jerusalem is awake right now. And I just get so excited to see what's going on in the world. So I want to update you on a few things that's happened this week that the Bible has foretold. Is that okay? All right. Um, How many of you are keeping up with the Abraham Accord? How many of you have heard of the Abraham Accord? How many of you have heard of this place called Israel? Okay, good. That's about 100% of us. Uh, President Trump announced in in this year, January 28th, it had been in the works for about three years, but he announced January 28th. Officially, it was the big announcement about the unfolding peace with Israel. Now, we know as believers that that's important for us because he who blesses Israel, God will himself bless. So, of course, we want the peace of Israel. It's better than people dying. Can I get a good amen from somebody out there? And so January 28th kicked it off, but we didn't actually see until just very recently nations coming on board. So does anyone out there know the first nation that came on board with the Abraham Accord? Anyone? Anyone? UAE and Bahrain, right? Bahrain came in just slightly after UAE. It was first at least announced that UAE, United Arab Emirates, came and and they made an agreement. Now, this is important because in Ezekiel 38, the Bible describes a vision of what's going to unfold, it says, in the latter days. It doesn't say the end times. The end times means an age, a period long where it's like towards the, the end age actually began when Jesus died on the cross. That was a long time ago, right? 2,000 years ago. But the latter days is referring to the end of the end of the end. So because we see things stirring in the Middle East exactly the way the Bible foretold that it would, we know we're getting closer. We know that we're getting closer. We don't know how close. We we know we're getting closer. And I'll just give you the rundown real quick of Ezekiel 38 because this isn't my sermon. 
This is my passion, okay? I'm just sharing my passion with you, and then I'll get into the, the, the sermon. It's a good, nice little three-point sermon for you. But I, I want to share my passion. And, and in the Abraham Accord, we've seen that um, UAE and Bahrain has normalized ties. That basically means they're going to stop fighting. They're going to play nice, okay? Just this week, it was announced that Sudan is normalizing ties. That's huge. Now, I'll get in a moment why that's actually huge and potentially more huge than the first two that were announced, but it's edging us closer to Ezekiel 38. Now, I also saw this morning, there was an article dated today that Oman is in normalization talks and they're about to receive breakthrough. If you don't know where Oman is, it is on the south east peninsula, Arabian Peninsula, so it's just under Saudi Arabia, uh, right next to Yemen, okay? So Oman is about to enter peace talks with Israel. This, this is incredible. It is incredible. It won't last long, but it's incredible, okay? Um, here's the other thing that I saw just this morning, Saudi Arabia. They have a normalization announcement. Uh, they're going to make a normalization announcement at some point between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Um, we know that it's close in their talks and in their developments, uh, but Saudi Arabia says that they're not going to make that announcement until the U.S. presidential elections. They said, quote, unquote, it will be a gift to the new president. So they're going to gift their peace yeah, thank you, Saudi Arabia. Thank you. How, how nice of you to gift Saudi Arabia. What they don't know is that God has caused them to gift that peace. I mean, still, we're grateful for it, but Saudi Arabia is coming along. And let me tell you, it is important for Saudi Arabia. They want Israel bad. And the reason they want Israel bad is because Iran is kind of scary. Like there are some tensions in the Muslim world and the Arab community between Iran and the other nations. So in Ezekiel 38, there's this little war called Gog and Magog War. There's also a reference to Gog and Magog War in Revelation 20, but this is a different Gog and Magog War. The one in Revelation 20 is at the end of the thousand year reign, the end of the millennium. And if this is, is Greek to you, um, I could walk you through it maybe on a Wednesday night, but after the thousand year reign, there will be uh, a war where Satan has been released from the pit and he collects and gathers humans to go against God one final time. It's called a second Gog and Magog war. Well, it's technically the third, but Gog and Magog isn't a person in a place. It's an, it's an ideology. It's, it's a spirit of antichrist, right? Against God. That's, when you see Gog and Magog in the Bible, it's not about a, a dot on a map. It's about a stirring in the hearts of people that have risen up against the God that you and I serve, okay? But we are looking for a Gog and Magog war to happen pretty soon. If, in fact, we are in the latter days, and if, in fact, the prophecies that have been fulfilled and fulfilling weekly, sometimes daily, at incredible frenetic rates, if in fact we are that close to the return of Jesus Christ, which is a comfort to you and I, it is good news for you and I that are 
born again, saved. We are, we are on our way to heaven. This is good news for all of us. If that's true, then we're very close to the Gog and Magog war. So in Ezekiel 38, I'll let you read that on your own. 38 and 39 describes it. But let me tell you the nations that are involved. I can already tell you who the nations are that are going to come against Israel. Anybody want the tea? All right. All right. Well, in Ezekiel 38, we know um, that the Gog and Magog war begins with the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Okay, if we look at where that was historically in Bible times versus where it is today, we know that's Russia. All right. Again, uh, when we talk nations, it's really important that we stay mature and understand we're not talking about Russian people. We're talking about a regime. Can I, can I make sure that we're all clear on that? Because what I don't want to happen is for you to walk out of here uh, thinking that I've said something negatively about the Russians. That's not the case. I'm just simply describing to you what the Bible says is going to happen. It's a regime that is going to take place. It's going to be Russia. Russia is going to lead the way. You can take that to the bank. It also mentions Persia in Ezekiel 38. Persia is Iran. No surprise there. It mentions Ethiopia. Ethiopia even though we have an Ethiopia today, it's not the Ethiopia that we know. The Ethiopia of Bible time is actually Sudan. So Sudan is a player. Now, you're already thinking, wait a minute, they just made peace with Israel. I'll get there. But Sudan is one of the players that will definitely invade Israel. Then we have Libya. Libya in the Bible is Libya today. Thank you for one that's easy. And then we have Gomer in the house of Togarma, and that is Turkey. All right, so there are five nations that will soon come against Israel. So Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, and Libya. If it doesn't make the, hand, the hair on the back of your neck stand up when I tell you that three out of these five already have troops in Syria, which is the northern border of Israel, we're very close. Very close, and I could go into more detail about the uh, pipeline, and I, I may get there in a moment. Uh, but the Bible lets us know that God is going to put a hook in the mouth of Russia. Russia's not going to want to invade Israel, but they will, and they won't know why. They're going to lead the way. God's, it says God's going to put a, a hook and the prince of Rosh's mouth is going to drag him and all his troops, finely dressed, nicest equipment, down to Israel. And God's going to end the war. It's going to be a very short war there, there so don't, don't, don't fret, don't worry if, if we're here to see that. Historically, Israel has very short wars. In 1967, their war lasted six days. You know why? God doesn't really tolerate it that much. He, he shows up on the scene. In fact, you could potentially Google how God showed up for Israel in the 1967 war, and you will see miracle after miracle after miracle that is undeniable that the Israelis didn't fight that battle. God did. The same thing is going to happen at the Battle of Gog and Magog. You know, God kind of starts it, and he's going to finish it. 
because he has a history of people coming against his people, his homeland. And so he's going to pull them down to battle and God is going to finish it. Now, before I go any further with this whole thing, we need to clarify a few things to understand the big picture and what the news is putting out because I brought a few articles. You have to understand that the Arab nations can be divided into kind of two categories, the Sunnis and the Shias. Right? Sunnis are, if you have any Muslim friends, likely they're Sunni. Sunnis are, are good people. They, they, they use their religion to benefit humanity. It is a false religion, unfortunately, but their hearts are pure. They, they love their God. Again, it is a false religion, but Sunnis is very different than the Shiites. The Shiites make up about 13% of the Muslim community, and some nations have more Shiites than they do Sunnis, which makes the tension in the region. UAE, for example, it's a Sunni nation. Saudi Arabia, Sunni nation. Iran, Shiites. Something like 93, 94% of people in Iran are Shiites. Now, Shiites are the extremists. Now, no religion likes any extremist in their own community. Can I get a good amen from Christians who want to distance themselves big time from some crazy zealot who in the name of Jesus hurts people and calls people things ridiculous, you know, blows stuff up, ridiculous. So every religion has extremists. The Shiites are the extremists for the Muslims, all right? So you understand. Uh, Iran and let's see, who else? Iraq. And uh, who else is Shiite? Azerbaijan is Shiite. And Sunni, we've got uh, Saudi Arabia. And Israel? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's very wrong. Israel is actually Jew. Um, Sunni is Saudi Arabia and uh, Egypt. Egypt, yes. Um, so what's interesting now is just this week, it has come out that Sudan wants to normalize ties with Israel. Now, why is that important? That's important um, because we've got two countries that have come out and normalized, UAE and Bahrain. And Palestinians were very upset. I don't know if you saw the news on that, but they, quote unquote, they felt betrayed by the Arab brothers. I think they, yes, I know they even removed their ambassadors from those nations. Palestinian Authority was very, very upset. Well, this week, Sudan made the announcement, and all of a sudden, Palestinian Authority is very subdued. They're not removing their ambassadors. They're not calling anyone traitors or betrayers. They're simply stating, once again, where they feel on the fact that Arab nations should remain strong and unified together, but they're not really pointing the finger at Sudan. Sudan is predominantly a Shiite Muslim nation. Could it be, could it be that Sudan is a sleeper cell invading the peace agreement to get the tea on what's going on? Because we know that Sudan will be one of the five nations that invades Israel. Now here's the news. Uh, the Jerusalem Post, I just this week gave an article that the Sudan becomes the third Arab state in weeks to announce ties with Israel. No doubt, I just told you that. 
Uh, you can verify that. Another article states um, the Palestinian Authority is quiet and they don't understand why. Um, another article states that Iran says, Iran says, now Iran, if you remember, just a few weeks ago, they made this threat to UAE. Bahrain as well. They said, if Israel does anything to them, they are going to bomb and send missiles and attack civilian regions of Bahrain and UAE. So Iran is very upset. And now Iran is saying that this deal between Sudan and Israel is quote unquote phony, the article says. Iran is calling the deal phony. I don't know, but my parents taught me when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. If Iran thinks it's phony, it's probably phony. To understand these deals, you have to understand uh, that culturally and religiously, at least with the extremists, again, we're talking about the extremists of this religion, their word is not their bond. Like you and I, if I tell you I'm going to come over and help you mow the grass, uh, first that would be a miracle. (laughs) I'd be quick to send my boys, though. I'm just kidding. But if I told you I was going to help you mow the grass, do you think I'm going to help you mow the grass? Yeah, absolutely. Um, If you tell me that you're, you know, like, I don't know, going to bring me a gift card to Olive Garden next Sunday, are you going to do that? You're going to do that because your word is your bond, right? Or you're going to be sick and have COVID. (laughs) But in in this area, in the Middle East, the word doesn't mean anything. It's always action. The, the word, in fact, in the extremist perspective, it is absolutely permissible to lie to your enemy to make them think you're with them so that you can take them down. It's not even just seen as permissible. It's seen as holy. So I would like you to start watching the news and just watch the Bible unfold. If you want more information, you can go to Ezekiel 38 and 39. It describes the battle word for word what is going to happen, and it is already happening. Let me just tell you, I can already see uh, Russia probably is going to invade Israel because of the energy, the, the energy pipeline that they have going. Putin has spent millions of his own money trying to get Uh, energy pipeline down, and he's only got about 98%. But you know, when you don't have 2% of a pipeline, you can't pump any oil, oil or energy or anything through that. But Israel has one completed. So I think very much we're looking at an Israel deal. And while we're all so, so distracted by mask or no mask, there are real things going on in the world creating the potential for real world war. These are the things that we need to be praying about and against and for. Are you with me, church? Anyway, in Ezekiel 30, I'll give you one more tip. Um, It lists, who is it? Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish. When, When this coalition comes down and invades, invades Israel, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish are going to step back and they're going to say, what are you doing? 
Why are you doing this? Why are you invading this land? Is it to spoil their goods? So we know that there are going to be friends of Israel that when this invasion happens, they're going to feel caught in the middle and they're not going to come to Israel's rescue. I believe Sheba is Saudi Arabia and Dedan is on the northern peninsula of the Arabian, Arabian Peninsula. That's probably Jordan. I believe that Jordan and Saudi Arabia will back off and the merchants of Tarshish, believe it or not, I think is the United States of America. More specifically, it is the Great Britain um, offshoots. So any nation that has sprung from or forth from Great Britain, the EU or Great Britain, they're going to be hands off. Why would America be hands off? I don't know. We'll see for the news to decide what goes on in the coming days and coming weeks of our nation. Why is it that America would not come to the rescue of Israel? Could it be that America has been crippled because millions of people have gone missing in the rapture? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right, let's get to my text today for my sermon. I'm, I'm out of time, but I, I really, <laughs> but you see why I'm so passionate about this stuff, right? All right, let me, let me just read you a verse. <laughs> Take your Bible. open to Genesis, the Bible is divided into several sections. I've narrowed it down to approximately seven. Put your thumb on Genesis. And then go to Joshua. So combine Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Well, you get the point. You don't care if I'm on the exact page or not, but this is what my topic was today, all right? This is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the theological term for that is Pentateuch. Pentateuch. Everybody say Pentateuch. Uh, it sounds, sounds nice. Pentateuch. The Pentateuch. When we reference the Pentateuch, it's the first... Uh, five Bibles, or five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. What does Pentateuch mean? It's really complicated. Pentateuch means five books. All right. So you're like, how many books was it? Five. Penta, five, five books. And in these five books, let me just tell you that God does so many things. He creates humanity. There's the fall of humanity. He establishes law and he establishes his feast, which I'm, I'm in love with, and I love learning about the feast of Israel. Uh, but since we begin our high level of scripture with the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, we understand the revelation of God, how our relationship with him began. And I want to take you, my, my only verse I'm going to leave you with today, it's, it's pretty foundational to everything in scripture, is to understand the mode from which, or the lens from which God wanted to interact with his children, okay? 
And, and this passage that I'm taking you to in Deuteronomy comes on the heels of the Ten Commandments. Has anyone ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay. This in Deuteronomy 6 is extremely popular. It's very, very famous. In fact, if you were a Jew, you would have to recite this every morning and every night. And likely it would be the last prayer you pray before you die. It is foundational to the Jewish culture, not so much to uh, the, the messianic era that you and I are partaking in, but because this Jewish moment between God and his people is so foundational to relationship, you and I should take notice. In Deuteronomy 6, it funnels down the Ten Commandments and it really gets to the heart of God. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's go back and read that out loud together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In your Bible, underline that word one, O-N-E. Because it doesn't just mean it is, it's not really talking about God, God is one. Like he's, there's not a trinity. It's not saying that at all. The word one is the Hebrew word echad, echad. And that word means priority and unity. So when the Jews start their prayer saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is echad. They're saying the Lord is first. He is united. He goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This block of prayer is called the Shema. You can call it the Shema if you want. You want to sound more Jewish? Shema. It's the Shema. And they say this prayer every morning and every night and just before they die. It's the last prayer at uh, Yom Kippur, the, one of the festivals, festivals that they celebrate, the feast. And they understand that God must be first and Unified. Now, here's the cool thing for you and I. You and I get to see Jesus pick up on the importance of this in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, Jesus recites this prayer word for word. Word for word. But he adds something. Verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, Jesus says, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So from the Shema and from Jesus in Mark chapter 12, we understand that love is extremely pivotal and vital in the relationship between God and us and us and others. Can I get an amen from the church? Now let's put on our inspector gadget hats for a moment. Or what's another spy person? And let's, let's think about this for a moment. If love is so 
foundational and so important to the Christian faith, to the Jewish faith. If I were the devil, I would probably make it one of my priorities to attack this notion of love. Would you agree? That would be a smart thing for the enemy to do since he understands that it is foundational to the Jewish faith and the Christian faith of which we serve the same God. As it turns out, he has. It's called postmodernism. The enemy has created a plot to undermine this notion that God is love. You see, Christianity says God is love. Postmodernism says love is God. It's so subtle and so, so sly. I understand it even feels righteous and I understand that it feels noble. But at the end of the day, love cannot be our God. When we serve Echad, the one true God, priority, unity, when the Lord is one in our perspective, in our hearts and in our life, love has to flow out of who we are and what we do. But when we make love our God, it becomes tainted with ideologies of the world, with our own presuppositions, our own philosophies, our, our own assessment on what love looks like becomes God of our life. In Deuteronomy 6, it goes on to say, after the Shema, it goes on to say, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to by your fathers that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. A house full of all good things which you did not fill. Hunan wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full. You see this picture is being painted of a, a God who loves us and says, love is important. Oh, and by the way, because you love me, I'm going to give you things that you don't deserve. I'm going to give you things that you didn't earn. This is a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ, being saved by the gospel of grace, something that we cannot earn, something that we cannot acquire on our own, by our own good works. You see, our vineyards and our olive trees will be full from seeds that we didn't plant. Our wells will be flowing with water from wells that we didn't dig. And these promises in verse 13, it says, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. And, and here's where I wanna land the plane today. Here's where I wanna land the plane. Because we will all agree that God is love and that love is important. But can we get to a place where we understand that the love of God cannot be separated from the fear of God. If the enemy were smart, Satan would create a movement of love that is separate from the fear of the Lord. Then truth becomes hate speech because we hold the created at higher value than the creator. It would create a society dynamic that instead of allowing you and I to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit as we should, when we hear truth, we perceive it to be hatred and we feel as if there's public shaming going on. 
You see, love must be rooted in the fear of the Lord. If it's not rooted in the fear of the Lord, it's not the love which comes from God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you, God, for what you're doing in the room. I thank you. I thank you that none of us can be snatched away from your hand. There is nothing that the enemy can do. There is nothing that we have done or are doing or will do that can pull us away from the grace of God. So Father, today, God, we we give you full permission to just help our minds to see through the mind of Christ, to see that there is a, a birthing going on in our world today. The church is shifting. We are going through a redefinition of what it means to be church. And God, it's painful, but Lord, we say bring it because we want to reflect you. And whatever that means, whatever it means in our hearts and in our minds and our thoughts and our egos, God, smash our egos, our pride, our defenses, our walls that we have put up between brothers and sisters, always assuming the worst of them. God, we just ask you to cast them down so that like you, God, as the Lord is echad, one, united, your church, your bride can be echad, united, and one. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen. Amen. God bless you.